Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that as we're going to minister this word, that it will just touch people's lives. Thank you for sharing your heart with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, last Sunday I've been speaking on the righteousness of faith. What is the righteousness of faith? And we, we read from Romans chapter 4, and um, I'm just going to recap a little bit on that, and then we're going to talk a bit about the righteousness of the law. What is the righteousness of the law and the righteousness that the Pharisees basically walked in? And um, we're going to explain some stuff that might be a little bit difficult to uh, understand, but I think it's important for us to understand this. Uh, you know, when we look at uh, the, the Bible, you know, I've, I, I mean, in our web church, which is basically where we've got our biggest impact um, numbers-wise, uh, you know, we see some, some people that just come into the message of grace say that some of the stuff is complicated and is it needed to have all the finer details explained. I just believe God has given different gifts to the body of Christ, you know, and there, there's a gift of a teacher, there's a gift of an evangelist, and all those kind of things. And once we, and what, what I believe is that Paul prays, he says, I pray that you will understand, you know, you will understand. Because when you understand something, it's so much easier in life. You know, if you go and study something, it might be difficult in the study, in studying, and it takes some time and, 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 and you know, just takes some, some, you know, sorting out of things. But once you understand it, life's easy. If you, if you don't understand how a car's engine works, you know, and you just know I switch it on and it starts and it goes, you know, then that, that's okay. You can still use the car. But should... Um, should you understand every light that's on that dashboard and should you understand everything in the car, you'll make so much better use of that vehicle and you will be able to use everything that it offers you in the very same way with the gospel. As we understand it better, we find peace flood our heart and our mind when hard times come or when good times are there. We just find the stability in our heart. So in, uh, what we said last Sunday is that the righteousness of faith is not when God is not God making you righteous when you believe. And we must understand that. You know, we've had this concept of um, there was God and there was the law, and then when God looked at man because man couldn't obey the law, God saw man as a sinner, and because God saw man as a sinner, God would punish man with death you know, or God would punish man with destruction in hell, or God would punish man. God is not, that is not the truth. That is not the truth. Let me say that again. Hello, Yefert. Wendy, good om jullie te sien. Ons het nou vanochtend, het die rekenaar besluit om op te pak, so ons het nie worship nie. So jylle is nie laat nie. Dit is op video. Dit is op video. Gooi die camera daar op, hulle. Hulle is nie nieuwe litmaat, is oude litmaat. Ok, so, um, so the concept that we've always had was God, you know, God is in heaven, He's holy and He's righteous, and He cannot tolerate anybody doing anything wrong. And there was a law given, and by this law, God determined if you're righteous or not. 
And then if you could obey the law and you would be righteous, then you would qualify for life. Should you not be able to obey the law, then God judges you as a sinner and then He will kill you. He will destroy you. That is the concept that we've had so many times. And that is the, the foundation from where uh, even many grace preachers preach the gospel of grace. Wherein, look at how good Jesus is now. For Jesus came and obeyed the law on our behalf. Therefore, we are now righteous. Therefore, God will not kill us. That still leaves the subconscious mind with the concept of an angry God. It doesn't allow your heart to actually trust. Because you're kind of scared. You know, it's kind of... You know, what is, you know, what if I now do something that God makes God angry again? And when we talk about the righteousness of faith is God comes, he tells man, you know, you try to have life through the law, which I will explain today. You try to have life through the law, but I promise you that I will give you life as a free gift. That is, that is the scenario man is in. When Adam sinned, when the law system came in, this is what happened. It was not man saying, well, I'm going to live by the knowledge of good and evil, and then I'm going to bless God with my obedience, and then God will give me life through me obeying the law. That's not what Adam said. What Adam said was, I don't need God. And I can have life, and eternal life, just by my works. That's what, it's, what he basically said. He was distantiating himself from God. He was saying that I've got enough good in me, that I can just live, the, live a life that will result in eternal life. That is what Adam was saying. And that is... That way of thinking is not in line with what God thinks. For God's got the only life there is. And unless He gives you His life, you can never have life. That is how it is. You know, if there's only one life, which is the life of God, the only way you're going to have that life is if He gives His life to you or share His life with you. Other than that, you're never going to have it. So here was a person with whom God shared His life, when God shared his life with him, he found that this life is really beautiful. He found that this life is attractive. He found that this life that God gave him, gave him wonderful abilities. It gave him wonderful, uh, um, uh, it gave him a clarity of mind. It gave him understanding. It gave him a lot of beautiful attributes. And then he got tricked into thinking that these attributes, which was a fruit of the life, can now be used to produce the life. That's where Adam fell. And he believed the wrong thing right there. So, when God would look at man, he would say, I see man trapped in a wrong belief. And since man is trapped in this wrong belief, his belief distantiates himself from the only life there is. That's why he dies. 
It's not because God kills him. It's not because God kills him. It's because the belief system is one of, I separate myself from the only life there is, and I will produce eternal life by the attributes that life has given me. Okay? It's like working for a big company, and they give you a car, and they give you a lot of things, you know, and you're very happy for this, and now you think by using the car and by you know having the nice laptop and by having all the the flights and everything i will create the company no 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 the company gives you these things you're not creating the company the company is providing for you you're doing a certain job but your life is from the company the moment you say i've seen it so many times people work for a big company they do a certain job maybe they're a mechanic at a big company and then they go and say okay i've got the ability to do mechanic work and then they go and start their own business and go bankrupt you know because it's kind of the source was actually from this company in the very same way with the gospel so we have developed a theology from the perspective of god looked at man man did not obey adam and eve did not obey and then god got very upset and he said well now i'm going to kill you and from there we even have our christian theology we've even got our a certain amount of the grace gospel around that where jesus said well you know they don't have to die I will take their death and then God says well since since I punished you you know then I don't have to punish people anymore and from there we live and then we struggle with certain scriptures in the Bible now the righteousness of faith is this God came to Abraham and he promised Abraham that he will make him a great nation and that all the nations of the world will be blessed through him this promise he made Abraham while Abraham was and he told Abraham to to, uh, to to move to another place that God will show him and God has had this plan and started this plan of on blessing Abraham while Abraham was still offering offering to idols so Abraham was not born in the Bible belt he was not born in the heilige akker in Potjesstroom okay he was, what we would say in, in our understanding, he was a heathen. He was serving father, foreign gods. He was not even worshipping God. He was just a sinner. But then God came to Abraham and said to Abraham, I promise you that I will make you a great nation and that all the nations shall be blessed in you. And what did Abraham do? He believed God. He believed that God has got the ability to bring that forth. And he did not bring the deadness of his own body into consideration. So what he said is, well, if I look at my ability, I can never do it. If I look at my holy living, well, I'm dead. In my flesh, I'm dead. I cannot produce a child. It is impossible. I cannot produce fruit. But God promised me fruit. And I just believe that if he promised me, if he promised, let me put it this way, if he promised a sinner fruit, well then, he will bring fruit in the sinner. And the Bible says, it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was accounted to him 
for righteousness. The word righteousness also means to be as you ought to be. It's one of the meanings. To be as you ought to be it also means to have a right unto. But I want to deal with to be as you ought to be. So, when God promises you something and you are as you ought to be in the presence of that promise, just believe Him. Believe He'll bring it forth. That's it. Now, the promise He makes mankind in Jesus. Jesus died. He took away the system that killed us. He took that system away. We were not enslaved under that system anymore. We didn't try and build up our own righteousness wherein we, or the system wherein we tried to build up our own righteousness to have eternal life. He took that out of the way and the enslavement we had to it by the death of Jesus. Then the Holy Spirit raised Jesus as a human from the dead. And when he raised him from the dead, what happened in Christ becomes our promise. So that means when we see Jesus raised from the dead, that is God's promise to you. He promises you that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, should you receive that spirit, will raise you up in fruit in this life where you can have peace and joy and you can have the financial provision that's, that's, uh, um, that's needed, the, uh, the, the wisdom that's needed in this life. Everything will be raised up by the Holy Spirit in you. That is God's promise. He even says in John 15 that you cannot bear any fruit of yourself. Abide in me and I'll abide in you and that is how you will bear fruit. So, you cannot bring forth that fruit by yourself. God promises you fruit. He who believes that is as he ought to be in the presence of God. It's called the righteousness of faith. The righteousness of faith as you ought to be. If God comes and he promises you, then if you want to convince him that the promise should come forth and you try to convince him by good works that the promise must come forth, then you are not as you are supposed to be. You are not walking in the righteousness of faith and it shall not be accounted to you as righteousness. Now, the account to as righteousness is not, you know, God now decides you righteous. No, it is when, when you believe him, that is a righteous act. If God tells you, I'll give it to you for free. And you say, well, God, thank you. That's why it says in Romans 4 verse 5, He who believes that God justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Why? Because the promise that God makes is, I will justify the ungodly. I will justify the ungodly with eternal life. That's God's promise. When you believe it, then you become holy in your thought. Then your thoughts are sanctified, your belief is sanctified. But what the Jews did in Romans, if we read Romans, um, Romans 3 and Romans 10, what they did was, they said, especially in Romans, Romans chapter 3, the Bible says there, you Jews, think, or Romans chapter 2, sorry, you think that you are a guide to the blind a light to those that are in darkness and all those kind of things. And they thought that the light of life was the law. 
the light of life, that which would give you, uh, that which would cause you to be as you ought to be in order to have eternal life was through the law. By steal not, you know, handle not, touch not, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. Plus, all the ceremonial laws, things like circumcision and things like all the Jewish sacrifices and all those kind of things. That's what the Jews thought. The Jews thought that um, they were the only nation, many of them still believe it today, that they are the only nation that ever had any instruction of God. They didn't believe any other nation had anything from God. They know, they knew that God appeared to Abraham, made a covenant with Abraham, and they believed it was to Abraham and his seed as into the Jews, but we know the prom promise was to Abraham and the seed, Jesus Christ. So they believe it was just for the Jews. And then the law was given to Moses. They saw, they knew there was a, a cloud on the mountain. The mountain was shaking. Moses went up there. He came down with Ten Commandments and the other things God told him to write down. And he did all of that. They knew God gave them that law. And um, that law they thought was the light. It was even called the way, the truth, and the life. But Jesus came and said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said, you search the scriptures to find eternal life, but they speak about me. So he said, you're reading the scripture in a wrong way. You're reading it to obey it so that you can have eternal life. No, the scripture is not there for you to obey to have eternal life. The scripture is there to point to me who will give you eternal life for free. So that's how we need to read the scripture. We cannot read it in another way. It will not give us life. It will produce works righteousness. It will produce effort. And it will destroy your life. So here the Jews come. And they think they are a guide to the blind. And all those kind of things. But Jesus said. If the blind leads the blind. Both will fall into the ditch. Jesus said. You know that. Um, he calls them blind guides. Because they are blinded to Jesus in the scripture and they think that those laws is what's going to give them life. It's not going to give them life. Romans 10, let's read this. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and working about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Now, what is he saying there? He is saying, listen, the Jews... And in this case, anybody that has got the mentality that says, as I obey certain principles, it gives me, um, you know, it, it, it will give me life. All of those, he says, are not submitting themselves to the righteousness of God. God is as he ought to be. God is love. God is kindness. God is mercy. And how would a God that is kindness, is mercy, be as he ought to be in the presence of a sinner? 
if God is as he ought to be in the presence of a sinner he will declare forgiveness and he will promise him life otherwise God is not as he ought to be <laughs> you think God is as he ought to be that if he's in the presence of a sinner he wants to kill the sinner no 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 God is as he ought to be in the presence of a sinner when he heals the sick when he cleansed the leper, when he declares forgiveness, didn't Jesus come and show forth the righteousness of God? Jesus came and showed how righteous God is. God is so righteous, God is so as he ought to be in line with love, that he comes and gets baptized into the sin of the world, declares forgiveness to people, and tell them, I give you, my heart is to give you the kingdom. This he says to sinners. He loves the sinners. He feeds the sinners. He takes bread and fish, multiply it for them. He heals their sick. And he rebukes those that condemn them. That's Jesus. Showing forth the righteousness of God. Now, it says that when we come and we want to work some principle or obey some commands in order to have life, be it life in this world, in the sense of I'm going to do these five steps so that I can become more generous, or I'm going to use these five steps so that I can become more loving, or whatever. What does it mean? You are not submitting yourself to the righteousness of God. You're not submitting yourself to a God that says, I give it to you for free. How do we submit to a God that makes you a promise? That, submis that submission is not, um, you know, well, I'm willing to be your slave. No, that submission is, well, okay, if, if that's what you say, I submit, give it to me then. That is submission, it's called belief. Now it goes on here and it says that the Jews have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For if they have submitted to the righteousness of God, they will not follow the law anymore. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. What that means is, um, and I hope I can explain, thank you Lord, I can explain what I believe in my heart here. Nelson Mandela was the end of apartheid. For everyone that believes it. That means that if you really believe what happened there, he will be the end of your apartheid system on how you function in your house and on your farm and everything, if you really believe what happened there. We will see that you don't live the old way anymore. Why? Because you've believed upon the new. Now he says here that Jews don't believe in the righteousness of God, wherein God comes and promises it for free, and they are now working up their own righteousness, for they cannot submit to God saying, I'm giving it to you for free. And what God is promising is not righteousness for free. What God is promising is eternal life. When Jesus died, he took away the sin of the whole world by taking away the contract or the marriage we had with the law. When that was ended, to every man was given innocence and forgiveness. Every man. 
But when we believe that, then we are as we ought to be in the presence of what is promised us. And we, it, the fact that we believe is accounted to for us for righteousness. Under the law, they believed that if I do all these things, then I will be as I ought to be. I will have eternal life. But what God says, if you can just promise, if you can just believe my promise, you are as you ought to be and you shall be as you ought to be having eternal life. Just believe me. Just believe that I can give you that life. Believe me that I have already given you that life. And as we believe this, what do we receive? We receive the Spirit of God. What is the Spirit of God? It's called the Holy, He's called the Holy Spirit. The Spirit where God, where God in, in His holiness comes and brings holiness as a free gift to every man. He fulfills the law that would declare us as sinners. He ends our marriage with slavery. He does all of that. He gives us everything for free. As we believe that, you know what happens? Then that spirit wherein Christ operates enters our heart. And we are now walking in the spirit of our forgiveness. We are walking in the spirit of our holiness. We are walking in the spirit of the righteousness of God. And then that spirit, by its power, which, and the Holy Spirit proves his, proved his power by raising Jesus from the dead, now the same thing happens to us by the Holy Spirit. So as we just walk in this spirit of forgiveness, this spirit of innocence, what happens to our, what, what happens to our life? We find the spirit bearing his fruit in us. So when we talk about right, the righteousness of the law, it talks about the way when, wherein we thought we had to to, to where in the Jews, and I'm going to touch on another point, there's two, two forms of righteousness in this righteousness of the law. The one is the concept that says, I will obey these works and by these actions in obeying this law, I will have, I am as I ought to be in order to have immortality and eternal life. That's the, that is, that's the one side of the law. But the law has got another righteous side, which is the righteousness of the law ascribed to Jesus. In other words, talking about the righteousness of God, which is, this law, let me, let me explain it again. There's a part of it, when, when it's read, it's read in a way where you want to work up your own righteousness by obeying the commands. But we all know, and I've taught it many times here, that the law was actually written to Jesus. Not to us. To Jesus. For these things speak about me, Jesus said. You search the scriptures and you want to find life in them, but they are speaking about me. So, when you read the scripture the way you're supposed to read it, then you will see it is a command to Jesus on how to end sin and how to fulfill the whole system whereby people had life by their works. And that's called the righteousness of God in the law. So that righteous requirement of the law, the righteous requirement of the law was Jesus. The law required Jesus. The righteous requirement of the law was not your good work or your obedience to the law. The law does not point to you. It points to Christ. 
That's why Jesus said, you, he says to the Pharisees, you don't even believe the law. That's why you can't believe me. For if you believed the law, you would have believed in me, for this law speaks of me. A guy who really believes the law will not believe you have to do it to be righteous. You believe in Jesus, for the law points to Christ. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus said to the rich man and Lazarus. He said, uh, they said, if a, if a guy's raised from the dead, they'll believe him. He says, no, they've got the law and the prophets. If they can believe the law and the prophets, they'll be raised. They'll, be, they'll, believe, they'll have life. Then we think, oh my goodness, they had to obey the law. No, 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 no. Because the law and the prophets talk about Jesus. So the righteous, when the Bible reads in Romans 8, where it says that we through the weakness of our flesh, could not fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. God came in the likeness of sinful flesh and fulfilled it for us, for it was speaking about Jesus. Glory to God. Let me summarize and I end with a summary. <clears throat> this is what we say. When people died in Adam, or when Adam died, it was not an account of God killing Adam. It was an account of Adam partaking of something that cannot give him life. That's all. So when God says, the day you eat hereof, you will surely die, he was not saying, the day you eat hereof, I will surely kill you. That's not what he said. He said, this thing will destroy you. Then when Adam partook of it, it became, he became one with Adam. Adam removed himself from the Trinity. So there was not a man in the Trinity anymore. So all those born after Adam could not behold a man in the Trinity and believe that we are united with God. So God came, incarnated this Adam in Jesus, died him away, was raised by the Holy Spirit, and a man was put in the right hand of the, at the right hand of the Father. Now humans can believe that man is seated at the right hand of the Father. When they believe that, when you are persuaded of that, then the spirit of truth, because that is the truth, there's a man in the Trinity. That spirit of truth enters your life and it raises you up and it's called the very righteousness of God. When you are presented with this truth and you are right and you've got, you walk in righteousness, you believe it. If you don't believe this truth, you are standing unrighteous as pertaining to how you ought to be in the presence of this truth. That doesn't mean God will kill you. doesn't mean God wants to destroy you. It just means that what you believe will destroy you. That's all. For God's always loving, always caring, and He's righteous towards who He is. That's it. That's why we can preach the gospel. That's why we've got good news for people. That's why it's so important, even for me, that we believe the truth about this, this message. I, I, I said to Helena, I think I put on Facebook over the weekend as well, on Friday, I think, I can't remember, I think it's Friday, I put up, I'm so glad that I'm alive. I'm so glad I'm alive. If I live in, if I live in South Africa, if, I, if we've got bills to pay, if we've got this, if we've got that, I don't care. But what an honor to be alive, to be a being that where God took dust and gave dust that opportunity to share in His life. Amen. What a privilege. What a privilege. Glory to God. And this spirit that we can live in is the spirit of innocence, it's the spirit of forgiveness. That's what He's come to give us. 
I look at, if I look at my own life, and um, I, I said to Helena that it, we try to renew our mind with the gospel. But that is not God's command to us. The Bible doesn't say be transformed by you renewing your mind. He says be transformed by the renewal of the mind. Let me explain what he's saying there in Romans. He says, be transformed by, by the new way of, by this new truth that God brought. So don't be transformed by trying to renew your mind. Hear what God tells you, for it will renew your life. I found that as we listened to this word, God renewed our mind. I try to renew my mind. You know, when I sit in bed and then I think, okay, now I'm the righteousness of God and Jesus. I'm the righteousness of God and Jesus. He's taken away all my sin. And then I try to work it up in my mind. But I found after some years, God has, as I just continually hear what He's saying, He renewed my belief. He renewed my way of thinking. The only thing from my side was just to say, Lord, You promised it. You promised me a new life. That means that's a new mind. That's a new heart. Doesn't the Bible say, I will put a new heart in you? So why do we want to put a new heart in ourselves? Say, Lord, whatever it takes for you to put a new heart in me, and we know what it takes, it takes us hearing His love. Let me hear it. Love me out of this situation, Lord. Love me out of this. Lord, I feel depressed. I feel stressed out. But Lord, I want to just say, the only way out of this is by you loving me out of this. It's by you bringing your thought to my mind, by you bringing your belief to my heart. And I'm willing. I'm not going to try and work up my own righteousness of the law, my own as I ought to be in order to have life. No ways. I put on, um, on Facebook, with, I'm busy writing my book on finances, so I, <laughs> you know, we speak a little bit. I'll have a lot of stuff on finances now because that's what I'm busy with all the time, writing that book. I mean, we're busy editing it. And um, I said there that I basically realized, when I realized that the death that came to my life through the traditional tithing and sowing, reaping, teaching, and that, that kind of a thing, I thank God that He could set me free and give me life, you know. And then somebody else came and He put on there and He said, you know, He's been tithing for I don't know how many years and He's so blessed and He's got two sports cars and He's got this and He's got that and He's got that and He's got that. You know, and a house and a farm and 400,000 rand a month and whatever. And I, you know, I, I just felt when I looked at that, you know, I wrote back to him and I said, you know, there are people that curse God, that doesn't even believe in God, that gives nothing to nobody, that is so rich that they make you look like a beggar. So why are we going to try and compare testimonies here? Even the Muslims has got testimonies, for the reign of God falls on the just and the unjust. It's about what produces life in your heart, wherein you can experience God's quality of life, wherein you don't have to define yourself by sports cars and motorbikes and farms and high salary. For, does Jesus not say that the, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions? Hmm. So I, I put in his inbox, but he didn't reply. Not that I say he's bad or anything, because I think it's a shock on your system if you come with scriptures proving Jesus is the tithe, proving the scripture talks about Christ. 
where we don't have to work about unrighteousness of the law. So if we cannot submit to God just promising it, and we say, God, if you promise it, it's mine, then you have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And every effort you make after that is you working up your own righteousness. And the prayer Paul prayed for a person like that is, my prayer is that they might be saved. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your righteousness. Thank you, Lord, that we have got a God that has loved man by when Adam accepted the system of death. You said, I'll incarnate myself into man and I will take the death of that system on me. And I will be raised by my Father. And this will be the promise to every human that even if you were bound by the system of death, so that it's taken away, I can raise you up into immortality and eternal life through my Spirit. And I thank you, Father, that we can embrace that promise. We say to you today, Father, what you promised is true. There is a war marker van die woord. En ek dankie, Heere, dat ons klaar die eerste vrug van die Heilige Gees in ons leven kan sien, dier die vreugde, die blijdschap, die rus, wat in ons voortbring. Dankie, Heere, dat die natuur net so in ons gebore is. Ek dankie daarvoor, Heere. Ek dankie, Heere, dat een liefde vir mense, een liefde vir u, een liefde vir onszelf, wat ons nooit kon bedink nie, in ons harte uitgestort is, dier dit wat u kon beloof het aan die mens. Heere, u beloof aan ons die eeuwige lewe. Die eerste vrug van dit in hierdie wereld en ons dank u, Heere. Ons sê dat u is nie leenaar nie. En dit is die waarheid en Christus is die bewys daarvan. Ons die nieuwe waarheid waarin ons kan geloo. Die opgestane Christus geseet aan die rechterhand van die Vader as een mens. Dank u, Heere. Father, I pray for every person that is here today. Thank you, Lord, that as they go home today, they will just go home with a heart that is just a little bit more renewed in your logic, in your word. I come and I thank you, Father, that I can stretch forth my hands as you stretch forth your hands towards the people here. I declare the sick people healed in the name of Jesus, that the resurrection power and the gifts of the Spirit manifest right now in bringing healing to people's lives, providing finances for people, um, bringing peace and joy in people's lives right now, where they can, where, um, I, I just feel there's some people here, you know, with your family, Obviously, um, yeah, this might be a very general word, but there's something somewhat specific here. You just feel, man, this family of mine, I just can't love them. They, they've hurt me so much and all those kind of things. I just believe the Lord is saying to you, you know, that just don't try and love them. Just believe my promise and you will find my love shed abroad in your heart for all people. Just say, Father, love me into loving others. The Bible says, he who doesn't love his neighbor doesn't know the love of God. Has not become perfect in the love of God. So don't try and love your neighbor. 
Become perfect in how much God loves you. And you'll find you will love your neighbor, for of yourself you can do nothing. Thank you, Father, for your great love. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. amen. Glory to God. Yeah. Guys, orders, order the CDs. Give it to some friends. Go and listen to it again. Let the word renew your mind. Amen. Let's have some coffee and some fellowship. God bless you.